Well, hey, we're glad you're here tonight. We've got a few new faces. We're glad. I'm Cliff. This is Chris. Hello, everyone. And um, we're glad you're here. That's a nice shirt. I like well, that. Well, thank you. This is going to be all recorded tonight. Yeah. Isn't it? This is, our wives will not let us be together alone by ourselves very often, you know, because it's just like, uh, so uh, we'll do that. <clears throat> What was that? I can't, I can't repeat that. Can you spell that? can't repeat that. That's right. Well, we're glad you're here. Uh, This is second session on how to study the Bible. Uh, We said last week a couple things we're going to work here that when you get through, uh, you'll be able to study the Bible on your own uh, in terms of being able to take a text and work with it. So tonight we're just going to get started. Uh, Here we get on your handout there if you have it. You'll notice on week two, Chris, is there anything you want to say before we get going? Uh, no, I think we're good. Okay. All right. Um, one of the things Chris and I've talked about, and I talk about with my students, I teach uh, Bible and theology at Mid-America Christian University, and uh, I tell them I have a couple of concerns, and we're going to assume a couple of things tonight, but I want to just kind of walk us through this quickly. Uh, I have some general assumptions that, um, that, that most of you have confidence in the Bible or you wouldn't want to study it. Uh, so that, you know, that's, that's an important thing. Um, and with my students that I say, well, you know, I'm glad you have that confidence, but why do you have it? Why do you have it? Good question. Because you can't quote the Bible to prove the Bible, right? I mean, that's circular reasoning. And so uh, we've often thought that one of the things we would do is spend a little bit of time talking about what is it that could give some probability to you or thought that the Bible's true. Now, in any area of endeavor like that, you know, we don't deal in the area of possibility, People say, is it possible the Bible isn't true? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible there's an airplane that lost its hydraulics on the way to Will Rogers right on this flight path and is going to crash right into this building in three minutes. Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible, isn't it? Why aren't you running? Because we don't live in the area of the possible. We live in the area of the probable. The probable. All, any of us could be killed in a car wreck going home. It's possible in a car. So really, what is it that would lend someone... To have a good probability, isn't that encouraging? You came to church Sunday, yeah, you could be killed in a car. <clears throat> uh, wow. Uh, that, but if, if we lived with anything that's possible, we'd be paralyzed. We couldn't live. We couldn't eat. We'd be afraid because you could choke, right? Uh, you couldn't drive because you could be in a car. Couldn't fly on an airplane because you could die in a crash. Uh, couldn't uh, take medicine because you might overdose. So probability is how we live our lives, probability. And so what is it that we could suggest uh, that has a, a, good, a good level of probability that would give us some assurance the Bible's true? So what we're dealing with here on number A on week two on November 1, you'll see there's A is the reliability of the Bible. <clears throat> the reliability of the Bible. Now, um, Again, I say to my students sometimes, I'm glad that you believe in it, but I'm concerned that you don't know why. Or if someone were to contest it, what would you say? And so we're going to walk you through three fairly um, significant areas. We're not going to spend a lot of time, but, but let's, we'll go through them. And that's number one under the reliability of the Bible is manuscript evidence. Manuscript evidence. It is not an exaggeration to say that there are more manuscripts of the Bible than any other write, any other work in history. Uh, some will say in antiquity, but there are more manuscripts. Uh, right now, uh, you know, uh, very few people can test the reliability of the dialogues of, uh, of Plato. 
You know, that we studied that in college and the dialogue. And oh, sure, you know, uh, we only have nine copies of that. Uh, the Wars of Julius Caesar, which is a historical account of his reign as a Caesar and his wars in Gaul and other places. We have about 10 copies of that, you know, and nobody contests it. Now, part of the reason is, is because the dialogues of Plato and the wars of Julius Caesar don't put any demands on you. They don't tell you how to live, right? But now the Bible puts some demands on you. It will say you should live this way or you are not supposed to live that way. So it's fascinating to me that when you begin to study the Bible in its own historical context, how do historiographers determine the reliability of the book? Because they consult the manuscripts. Are they saying the same thing? Um, this is called, if you're textual criticism, uh, I heard a guy say the other day, you're either a textual critic or you have a life. <laughs> One of the two. One of the two. Uh, so the idea of manuscript evidence is to determine... How many do we have, and are they uh, in agreement with each other? Or are they wildly out in left field? Because we don't have any of the original, what we call autographs. We don't have the Gospel of John that was written by John. We have copies of John and copies of John and copies of John. So taking that into account, we then look and ask, ask okay, how many manuscripts, um, papyra, uh, 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 fragments do we have of the New Testament? Have you ever heard this before? Do you, do you know how many documents there are? You know, nine for Ju ten for Julius Caesar, nine for Plato. Some got it. you guys heard the number? I don't remember okay, it's yeah, it's twenty-five thousand. <laughs> twenty-five thousand. Okay. Yes. Yes. That in the manuscript evidence, there's a 99.9% .9 harmony in the documents. However, now you're going to hear a guy someday, maybe not, don't read him, Bart Ehrman. Bart is a very popular campus uh, um, um, speaker, and he's an agnostic. He was a Christian, he's an agnostic. And he regales the fact that there are 450,000 errors in the manuscripts. Now you go, now wait, hold on, hold on a second here. Uh, there aren't 450,000 verse words in the Bible. <laughs> okay? So what he's not telling you is there's 25,000 manuscripts and there are 450,000 errors. Are very, now here's what they call an error. Okay? So just understand the language. This is, this again, if, you have, if you're a textual critic, you don't have a life. I've got sort of a life, but I know some textual critics. <laughs> um, <laughs> Here's an error, considered an error. Oh, the Bible's full of errors. I always say to people, show me one. And they go, huh? Well, for instance, when it says um, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and Jesus calls four men to follow his disciples. That's in, let's say that's in one of the manuscripts. Okay, So Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee and Jesus calls four men to be disciples. A, an, an error would be, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, he calls four disciples. The fact that the pronoun is used instead of the proper noun from this manuscript, error, that's what we're dealing with. Okay? That's what we're dealing with. So when people say there's 450,000 errors, they mean there's 450,000 different word choices. There's a different he instead of the proper noun. And 99.9% .9 
of all of the variants that are in those manuscripts have absolutely nothing to do with the message of the Bible. Okay? So the manuscript evidence is overwhelming. 25,000 of them available for the New Testament. Let me, give so, you, let me put that yeah. into perspective one thing. I don't, know if, I don't know if you said this or not, though, but... Um, well, weren't you listening to me close I, enough? I was. I weren't was hanging I, on every I word. I was over here. I saw the word, you, there's you, a butterfly. You weren't, yeah. <laughs> you weren't hanging on every word that I... <laughs> Always. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. This oh. is why it's not a good idea. <laughs> True. Homer's Iliad, which is a, a document that is uh, historically accepted all over the world. You know how many pieces of attestation it has? 600. How many are in the Bible? 25,000. That's the highest of all the attestation of the ancient yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah, that's the high, 653. Yeah. So, so the manuscript evidence. Now, if you're interested in this, there's some resources I gave you here by F.F. F. Bruce. F.F. F. Bruce written a good book called Are the New Testament Documents Reliable? Um, there's some resources here. If, if, you know, if you're one of those people who want to dig in a little deeper, it's on the back of the, of the handout. Uh, there's, or, no, it's underneath, underneath there, isn't it? Did I put Yeah. Oh, I faked myself yeah. out. <laughs> Uh, there now. I, here, let me tell you too. When you're studying stuff like this, I want to make I'll make a recommendation. When you find a good book on a subject, particularly with biblical studies, what I do and I recommend it: go to the back of the book and see who they're reading. <laughs> That's the next set of books you ought to buy, right? Instead of just buying a book here and a book there and a book here, go, find a good book like F.F. F. Bruce or uh, Bruce Metzger, uh, the uh, uh, restoration of the biblical canon, uh, those, and, and find out who they're reading. So suffice it to say, the fact that there are these 25,000 different manuscripts and they are 99.9% harmonious suggests that what we have in our hands, in the Bible we have, has been a researched, highly a reliable set of documents that were copied over and over and over again for publication for people to be able to read the scriptures. Does that make sense? It's, I don't want to belabor this, but if there's a question here, I'd be glad to kind of go with it. <clears throat> yes? How does that deal with putting these together? Yeah, this is the question of, uh, you know, okay, we got all these letters circulating, and then there is an allegation that at the Council of Nicaea in 326, Constantine pulled a bunch of people together and said, put it together. Uh, that's not true. Um, there is um, uh, 1935, somewhere in there, an uh, a, 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 um, Italian uh, archaeologist named Moratorian, M-A-U-R-T-I-A-R-I-N, I think Moratorian, M-A-U-T-O-R-I-A-N, Moratorian, found a document. It's called the Moratorian Canon. It's, baited, it's dated back around 180 A.D., and it has the list of the New Testament books. They're already there. What Nicaea did was it codified or it ratified what the church already had decided. That, that Constantine didn't pull a fast one and get them to put these things together there is evidence in the Moratorian canon. Others would tell you that when you read the church fathers in the first two centuries, if you just read them and you looked at all their quotations, you could construct the New Testament from all that. So there's a lot of that going around, but, but Nicaea codified it, made it official. Uh, uh, we also have in Papias's uh, uh, Easter letter around 300, the, the listing of the New Testament books. Uh, so, so that this was all 
way before Nicaea. So, you know, so that, but that's a, that's a really important question. A bunch of guys got together and, you know, decided we're going to vote on what's going on in the Bible. Well, the church basically had seen the good sense of it and, and was, a, I can tell you what the criterion were. The criterion were it had to be written by an apostle or someone in collaboration with an apostle, like the book of Mark. Mark was an apostle. He, he's working off Peter's memories. He's working with Peter. Luke was an apostle. He was with Paul. So it had to be with an apostle or in collaboration with one. Two, it had to be consistent with the oral tradition of the teachings of Jesus. And three, it had to have a high moral standard of conduct. So that's the way they worked them in. They didn't just, you know, kind of... And, and it cracks me up. Oh, I'm going way too far here. It cracks me up when... when, when um, I don't have... I have a life a little bit. It cracks me up when you've heard about, you know, the gospel of Judas and the gospel of Thomas... And uh, Elaine Pagels at Yale is just going on and on about how the gospel of Thomas ought to be uh, included. It's so wonderful. Well, first of all, we know the gospel of Thomas now, after years of study, was written at about about 500 B.A.D. I mean, the first time. Second thing, you ought to read it. No, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. I take that back. Just read the last chapter. Now, this, this is crazy, but... The last chapter where Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter says to him, Jesus, Hey, what about her, Mary Magdalene? What about her? And Jesus says, What do you mean? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, You know, what, what, what do you mean? He says, Well, she can't go to heaven because she's a woman. And Jesus says, Oh, that's okay. I'm going to turn her into a man so she can go to heaven. <laughs> now, why didn't that get included in the New Testament? <laughs> Why didn't that get included in the New Testament? And here's Elaine Pagels at Yale just going on and on about how important this would be. And she thinks that the parable of Jesus, the parable of the sower in the Gospel of Mark was original in the Gospel of Thomas, that Mark stole it. That's nuts. It's historically you can't. So this kind of stuff's going on all the time, all the time. Uh, F.F. Bruce, Ben Witherington is another good source if you're interested in reading about. Okay, number two is the date of the writings. The date of the writings. Now, what we're doing is we're looking at historiographers are, are saying, okay, when books are written, what's the distance between the event and the book? What's the t- normal history there? I mean, the Bible is a book of literature. It's set in a, we said last week, remember? I scare a bunch of people off this week. But remember, the Bible wasn't written to you. It was written to real people at a real time and real circumstance. So it's literature that reflects the ancient world, not 21st century America. Okay, so you've got to understand the culture, the background. So the, the, the idea of, in the ancient world, some would say that like the works of Sophocles are like a thousand years later than the event to when it's finally written down and we have copies of it. Partially because you're talking about a lot of oral tradition, people telling stories and they remembered them. And this isn't some kind of willy-nilly thing. I mean, they, they really memorize this stuff. Sort of like Native American culture where they take pride and, and honor in remembering these stories and they pass them down generation. Well, what's, here's what's interesting. You might say 
some historians would say that generally books after the event are written down are somewhere around 150 to 500 years. The Gospels were written within 30 years. There's nothing again in history that's this fast. It doesn't happen like this. I mean, just you can study history. It doesn't happen like this. Think Homer's Iliad is a thousand years after yep. two. Yeah. Sophocles is 1400, the earliest manuscript I have. So here's the deal. Now, why would this be important? You know, you, you've got a book that is alleging a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> a lot of miracles and a lot of crazy stuff. And 30 years, we believe Mark is the first Bible or first book written. Mark's first. Uh, that or James We're in Galatians. There's a little bit of an argument here. But they're within 35, they're, they're in the area of 65 to 70 AD, okay? So if you write that book, and it's as crazy as it sounds, what would be the danger of writing it down soon? The people that were there are still alive, and they will tell you or bring it up if you're wrong. Eyewitnesses. Huge danger. You're making these wild, harebrained stories. Well, whenever Jesus fed, you know, the 44, 45 people, no, 5,000, right? There were 5,000 people in Capernaum that could say, wait a minute, we were there. That didn't happen like that. Wait a minute, we, we didn't. And, you know, it's fascinating that the miracles, and there's some argument in this area, but in the Jewish Talmud, which is a, a kind of a religious book of religious sayings, um, even the Talmud, now there's some argument here, but some suggest that the Talmud refers to Jesus and his miracles that he raised people from the dead and he healed them. They do not deny that. They simply say, but he did it by the power of the devil. So, so I mean, there's attestation here on a what we call enemy witness. <laughs> when you have enemy witness over here. So the day they're very early, very soon, way out of character to what normally happens in the ancient world. you got eyewitnesses that could deep-six this story fast. you got thousands of people. And we don't have any record or any evidence of any writings or anybody attempting to contra contradict it. So it, it's, a, it, it's a fascinating thing. Okay, third, uh, and you can look, number three is the witness of archaeology. Archaeology. Archaeology is you know, the, the study of old cultures and dead people. <laughs> You know, go dig some people up. <laughs> now, archaeology is uh, going on in all kinds of cultures. I had a, a professor that was an archaeologist in Papua New Guinea. They went to study the culture to learn how do they live in their houses, all those kind of things. So archaeology is a big deal in, in Palestine, and it's going on all the time. And here's a statement by a guy named Nelson Gluck, G-L-E-U-C-K, Nelson Gluck. Not a Christian, but he said this, to date... To date, there's never been an archaeological discovery yet that contradicted the Bible. Not yet. You know, maybe you say, well, the possibility, okay, I'll concede the possibility. I'm telling you, though, right now, there are no archaeological discoveries that are contradicting the Bible. I'll tell you real quick, <clears throat> uh, one, in the, in the early turn of the 20th century, there was always in liberal uh, theologians that made fun of Bible believers because we believed that the Old Testament talked about the Hittites, 
You know, I, we were talking about that. The, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Mosquitoites, and the termites. Termites, yeah. those other guys too. They're all over. And we got to keep this a little bit light. Um, that there was no historical record of the Hittites anywhere. And of course, more liberal, if you will, or or skeptical scholars said, "Well, see, the Bible's making this stuff up, just like it made up about an ark." And two people in a, in a garden. Well, about 1930, someone was going on. There was, uh, they were in northern Palestine, southern Syria, doing some excavating. And they find an obelisk. You know, obelisk like the Washington Monument. Not that tall, but, you know, about six, seven feet tall. Has four panels on it. And cultures would, when something significant happened, they would get a, a, an iron stele and, you know, put the story in the granite, you know. Write it up in Ugaritic or, you know, uh, some uh, ancient language. Well, this was in Ugaritic. And so they, they, they see the Stella and they, they write it and they look and they say, okay, we've got to get people in here to look at it. And they did. And so they started looking at it and translating it. And it's telling the story of this huge battle. And guess who was in the battle? The Hittites. That put them on an excavation. They found an entire culture, city libraries, you name it, in southern Syria that were the ancient Hittites. And to that date, the only record of them was the Bible. So again, the Bible was shown to be accurate. So the witness of archaeology, when people say, well, the Bible will say, well, have you studied archaeology? Have you looked at the archaeological discoveries that confirm or attest to what the Bible says is going on that you can? So those are some areas that we uh, would say good probability uh, that the Bible is true. PBS did something on the Red Sea one time that I just, if you want, I'll talk to you about later. But yes? I'm just wondering, what about the sections of, I know Mark, I can think of it offhand, that say this was not considered to be included in everything? 16, chapter 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two ways to look at this. One is, it's, in, it's not in any of the extant or complete manuscripts. Second, how would we know it isn't? Because it's in not many of the other manuscripts. It's included in there because it's in a couple of smaller manuscripts. Just to say, okay, you know, we found it. Isn't it comforting, though, for them to be able to say, that's not there? The research and study of the manuscripts is such that they know if something looks like it's been added. And what some have suggested, that the way Mark ends, if you, if you stop there before that, it's very abrupt that some scribe, probably what they tried to do was to harmonize it and make an ending to it instead of they looked in the tomb and he was gone. So we know that because it's not found in the, what we would consider to be the most authoritative manuscripts. There's like four or five, Codex Sinaiticus, Codex Alexandrius, Codex Byzantine, uh, Codex is the Hebrew word for, for book, so it's not in any of those. There's a test. Or the that. copies. Or the copies. It's found in a few, um, a few manuscripts. Like when I, my Greek New Testament, when I read it, um, in the bottom there's a thing called an apparatus. And if there's any question about um, the manuscript evidence, what, there's an A, B, or C reading. An A reading is run with it. A B reading, eh, it's found in a couple other manuscripts, but not in the big ones. A C reading, uh, 
it's not in all of the, 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 it's not in all of the uh, large manuscripts. But there's nothing in there that contradicts anything else. Is, am I answering your question? Because that's a great question, because if you've read the gospel, you know, at the end of Mark, it's harmonized, if you will, to sort of kind of make it not so abrupt. If you want a really easy resource on this, uh, Lee Strobel's material is good on this, too. It's mm. a DVD series, and if you've read his book, The Case for Christ, most of what Cliff just talked about is in there. Uh, the DVD that has, there's actually a DVD that has The Case for the Creator, The Case for Faith, mm -hmm. and The Case for Christ, and uh, on the case for Christ, it, it, a, a good half of that, it, well, not half, about, about a third of it, is it talks a little bit about um, exactly what we've been talking about here. And it's a great, I've watched it so many times because I teach it alongside some other stuff I do on Monday nights at the Oklahoma City campus. And I learned something every time I didn't notice. So it's, it's good information. And doesn't that just fill you up? Doesn't that strengthen you to know that? That you, you know that you can rely on what you're what you're basing your belief on yeah. is reliable. And One of the after. things that I do, I've taught at the university for 26 years, and for the last probably seven or eight, I just can't assume that even church kids know this. Mm -hmm. I, I just I can't assume that they know uh, that this is true, or that they have any way to defend it. And so, for a couple of weeks, we just hammer away and bang around in this to say, can you trust this book? And um, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed uh, at, you know, I, I think this is something we probably need to be doing with our young people uh, to get them founded in that. The, you would. <laughs> I love it. It's in, yeah, we're talking about the intertestamental book of Enoch. It's in the um, Apocrypha. Fascinating question, though, from this standpoint. You know, today we celebrate All Saints Day because this is the Reformation. This was the day that Everybody went to church, and Martin Luther had nailed his 95 objections on Halloween because everybody would be at church. The Roman Catholic Church continues to keep that in their canon. It was accepted by them in terms of it has historical uh, basis. The Protestant Bible pulled it out and said, there's nothing in here to tell you really how to live. It's historical. There's some history. There's some mythology in here. And they say, we're not going to use it in its... its usable to read, First and Second Maccabees, Esdras, those other ones, but it's never been noticed as far as Protestants as telling, okay, now here's how you need to live. Is that, that's a short answer. Yeah, I get that. I just, talking about, um, no, no. No, it's a good question. Yeah, because you pick up a Roman Catholic Bible and you say, where'd all these other books come from? Yeah, well, Roman Catholic, the, the Roman Catholic Church accepted them as historical as part of their tradition uh, to, uh, to keep in their, in their list of authoritative books? I don't know. I, I think they, we would all read it from a historical standpoint to say this is what people were thinking back then and doing, but not to tell you how to live or what not to do, those kind of things. I, I, I think everybody ought to read some of the intertestamental period. First and second Maccabees are terribly important. To understand that intertestamental period from the end of the prophets before Jesus comes, there's a there's a period of called silence. It is pretty crazy, you know, Babylonian demons. And <laughs> it's a yeah. It's 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 mystic. I mean, it's it's kind of almost Star Wars-ish, also like you know, it's it's yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, good question. Okay, uh, we're going to move on now, if that's okay with you. We're, remember number two now here on your uh, outline. I think I've got it right here. I don't know. Oh, here we go. Uh, on, on B, we're going to hit review. Review, and Chris is going to take us here in a minute. Uh, B is we're going to review again. Number one, number one is the four steps of Bible study. Anybody remember that? Ooh, test. I can hear it coming. Prayer. Pray first, then. Observation. Interpretation. And application. That's right. That's right. Prayer. Observation. Interpretation. And application. Now, Chris is going to walk us through a second that... That uh, in, in observation, I just want you to mark in there somewhere for you. This is where we think this will be helpful. Is this, that in observation, you are attempting to identify, observe, or see things in two basic areas. Anybody remember what we said last week? There are two basic areas of observation. That when, you're, when you're looking at the text and you're trying to say, okay, I need to try to understand this or observe this. Remember? Well, you need that, but, but yeah, grammatical and historical. In your observation, you're going to be looking for things that are probably grammatical to understand the text or the way the words are working. Like when Paul says, not that I've obtained it, you need to know what the antecedent to that indefinite pronoun is. That's a grammatical issue. Or if uh, you're reading about the armor of God, uh, you might need to study and understand what is the role or place of armor in the ancient world. Those are historical matters. Uh, or marriage or those kind of things. So, so in observation, we just want to kind of get you alert to this. We're going to work with it. It's grammatical or historical. All right. Let's take a look at the program. I've handed out the sheet to you today. And this is the basic <laughs> little step-by-step -step process. You know, we've got the four icons we talked about, prayer, observation, interpretation, and application. Now let's just talk a little bit about it. You'll see it. I've got it on the screen here, and, and you can kind of follow on your sheet there if you can't read it very well. But the first thing we want to do, we talk about, is we're going to start with a prayer. And again, if you will journalize this, it's one of my favorite things to do in the process because... What? Journalize is not a word. Journalizing. Oh. Jur I don't know. It's not really? It, should that not be a word? Can we edit that out of the video? Yeah, I've got some more of those. It's not a word. It's not a word. You'll put it in a journal. That's a great point. You'll, you will transcribe it into a journal. Wow. Ooh, see, there see, that's go. smarter than I can be. No, right no, there. that's... See the just, difference between you can't make words up, Chris. <laughs> yes, I can. I'm really good at it. <laughs> here, i got some more of those right here. Did you get them? Okay. Hey, you know the word he made up when he was uh, chairing, the, uh, chairing the chapel this summer? He uh, got uh, a couple of words mixed up, and he said... He works in uh, medicine, and so he's in oncology. Like that. So he said, we're going to sing now to end the doxicology. Yes. <laughs> Not the doxology. I'm in, I'm in the toxicology The doxicology. So I stood up, and I didn't know I was doing it for three weeks. And so now it's the big joke, joke in the chapel that we're going to yeah. sing now the doxicology. So Chris is pretty famous <laughs> for making words up. Hey, I'm just, it, it ought to be a word. I'm All just right, telling so you. All right, the so we are going to write in a journal, since I've been <laughs> so appropriately corrected here. Uh, that's where we'll start. Then... We're going to read. Those. We're going to read our text. Now, let's talk about what we talked about last week. What about reading did we learn? One time, what's the unit of measure for, the, for Bible study? The whole book. The whole book, right? Remember we talked about the gentleman that 
study, reads the entire book 50 times. A little crazy, okay, but probably effective, right? Might there be a difference between me reading it one time and a guy reading it 50 times? Could there be some common ground in the middle? That's kind of the point of that, right? So you're going to read your text multiple times, okay? If you can, read the entire book, all right? And then the next thing you're going to do is what? It's written at the top of your page. You're going to write down something. Your initial thought, that's right. This is important to do, and you're not doing anything with it. This is what normally in my background has been uh, Bible studies. I read it one time, and I told you what I thought it meant. We're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to read the text multiple times, and we're going to say what we think it means. Okay, just our initial thought. Can't do this wrong. Hey, Chris, can we? Let me let me back up here just for a second. I'm looking here on your handout. On your handout under C, see there. This is what Chris is taking you through on the back. C, put the word observation. Put the word observation on C. Yes. Now, under general observations, general observations, write these in there, Chris. I'm going to let you run here. No, you're good. Number one is do not assume you already know. If you're going to be a good at observation, you cannot assume that you already know. Do not assume you already know this. Okay? Number two is intellectual curiosity. You've got to get curious about this text. What's here? This is interesting. Didn't notice that. So I have some intellectual curiosity. Number three, time to read text multiple times. Now that's where Chris is. Time, read the, time to read the text, that's number three, multiple times. Number four, an initial thought of what the text is basically about. So go, now, I, I just want you to fill those in while he's working you through this. And we're going to show you a little video <laughs> on observation here in just a second that makes a great point, all right? But I, I'm really just showing you the, the steps that, that's on your sheet. So you can, this is kind of the, the pattern you're following. And now, let me just make this comment. When you look at this whole page, you're going to like, I can't do that. It's too much, all right? I promise you, after a bit of study and a bit of uh, experience with this, you'll do it without even thinking about the page, mm-hmm. all right? And it becomes, that's when it gets really fun, all right? So you're going to pray, you're going to read your text multiple times, and then you're going to write your initial thought, okay? Now, when we get the website up, hopefully what we're going to do is we're going to have the passage here, and you're going to be able to do some really cool things. Uh, let me go to my next page here. Third thing you're going to do. This is where you're going to start the process of observation. Okay? These are all the categories of possible observations. Okay? So you can look at things like the definition of the word in the original language. I'm going to show you how easy that is to do in just a moment. Okay? Chris, let me again, here yes. under specific observations, you see that on your handout? Am I you skipping see, ahead of you? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, brother. Okay, good. <laughs> specific observations, you uh-huh. see that word grammatical filters? That's what Chris is talking about here. The, the, let, can I go ahead and give them yeah, here real ahead. quick? I'm going to have you fill these out. He's going to walk you through them. Well, I got them right here on the board. Yeah, no. On grammatical filters uh-huh. on the handout, number one is determine the genre. Talk to him about that, Chris. Genre. What <laughs> is genre? Do we remember? It's the kind of language that you're reading. <clears throat> so the difference between reading something that's poetic from the Psalms, right, that, that very poetic language compared to reading one of the Gospels that's what? What is the Gospel like? It's a narrative narrative or story, right? The language is going to be different. <laughs> so I'm going to interact with the language of, 
of a narrative or a story told versus the very figurative language mm-hmm. of, of poetry in Psalms. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply it differently, okay? Lot, lot, so genre is the first one. Is there one? Well, I, no, just, it's a really important. I mean, you know, the example I use it when I played baseball as a catcher. And one of the things that I did, I gave the pitcher a sign so I would know what? What's coming? Mm-hmm. I'm going to set up differently for a curveball than I am a slider or high and inside as opposed to outside uh, curveball. Genre is l- learning how to set up. Uh, you can't force poetry into what we call referential truth. When, when David says, my, my, uh, you know, my heart is breaking within me, well, he's dead if it is. <laughs> when your heart breaks, you die. Why? That's poetic language. So I need to know what I'm dealing with here to, to get the setup so that I don't press something into some kind of meaning that the author never meant. It, it, it just never... never so, so genre is, if it's poetic, it's evocative, it's trying to evoke a feeling out of you. If it's narrative, it's trying to tell a story of character development, of conflict and resolution. If it's epistolary material like the the epistles, it's logical, analytical, it's uh, argumentative. So so all those things just help us to get set up before we get the ball thrown at. Does that that make sense to you? So, So that you don't I, I hear people quote the Psalms like they're the epistles. Incended my mother conceived me and brought me forth. I'm thinking, what do you mean by that? Are you saying that's a, the doctrine of original sin? That's a poem. Okay, now here it is. It's true, but it's not literal. There's a difference, isn't there? It's true. It isn't literal. When David says my heart is breaking, it's not literal, but it's true. So understanding the function of poetry allows you to not make kind of ridiculous statements about something that's contradictory. So th- that knowing those, those are the basics, poetry, narrative, epistles. Next one we're going to talk about is, um, well, we talked about definition. We'll show you how to use that in just a minute with the, with the digital That's the tools. second one, by the way, okay. definition of terms. Definition. I don't want, know what order you got them on the sheet, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's the third one on your sheet? They don't have it. Oh, they don't? Okay. I got it. What's, what's on the third one on your sheet? That's the important And the answer it. is? No. <laughs> we probably should have got together on yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's been a crazy... I just left the elders. I was <laughs> leading the elders in the book of Hebrews. We, we haven't seen each other. The, the third one is tense. Past, okay. present, future. Tense. I'll, you want to look at a passage on that? Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and the, and the armor of God passage that... The Cliff was talking about earlier. Look at the difference in tense of, of, of actions done before battle and after battle. You'll see, you'll see that in that. So Ephesians chapter 6, uh, as you're looking through roughly verses 13 through 16, you can look at that and you'll see the difference. And, and again, what we're doing with this is just pulling out little puzzle pieces to form this picture better so that we understand what, what are we looking for? Understanding what the passage meant to the... The original, original reader. reader. That's the point. Okay. So, Clip, give us what the next one is. Uh, the ne- <laughs> I feel like Vanna White here. You right? are Vanna. Yes. <laughs> and the next one, uh, tense. The next one is mood. Mood. Okay. Now, mood is the one that what type <laughs> of statement are you looking at? Uh, in Matthew chapter 11 is the one that we look at normally. Um, 
you ever remember the... Uh, what are the moods? What are the moods, okay? Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. So we're looking for, there's, well, let's just use the two, because there's one that's a third and we don't really deal with a lot, but there, are they imperative in nature or are they declarative? In other words, imperative is more like a command. And the way I remember that is imperative sounds like imperial to me, and kings make commands. That's how <laughs> yeah. I remember it, right? So I think I learned that in English class, you know, in the, you know I did really well. So You're anyway, um, as I was making up words, and uh, in, the, uh, <laughs> in, like my, in my English class, yeah. yeah. So uh, imperative is a command. So come to me. Hear how Jesus is making a command? What's the other one in there? Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What's the next one? Take my, remember to take my yoke, okay? Here, here that is. Um, versus uh, David in the Psalms saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. Is he making a command there? No, that's a declarative type statement. So you'll watch the difference of those because how you apply those is a little different, isn't it? How you apply a command from Jesus, okay, or an, an, or a uh, declarative statement. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I teach uh, inductive Bible study to my students, and so I was teaching the book of Ephesians, and I know uh, where the declarative and imperative statements are, and so on a, on a Friday, I assigned them that on the weekend, I want you to come on Monday, I want you to bring me all the imperative statements <laughs> in Ephesians 1. Well, there aren't any. <laughs> There just aren't. Don't you remember him calling me mean the other day? <laughs> <laughs> there aren't any. In fact, in Ephesians, there aren't any imperative statements till chapter 4. None. And so I, we come in on Monday morning, they got all these stacks of paper, and I said, let's talk about it. And they go, okay, who wants to go first? Me, me. You know, where, where's the imperative? We read it, and they go, where's the imperative? Uh, it was a long weekend. We're like, well, okay. So for about 10 minutes, I just drug them through that. And I said, okay, let's be clear. Forget taking Greek. You need to learn English first. You can't even read your own language. Now, this is why this is important. I grew up in a church that made me believe that every verse in the Bible was an imperative. Yeah. And I can tell you from a fact, for instance, the book of Romans, do you know, many, you know what chapter you finally get imperatives in Romans? Chapter 12, 11 chapters in Romans are declarative. They're not telling you to do anything. They're not instructing you to do anything. They're not telling you have to do anything. They're telling you this is what God has done for you in Christ. And yet I, I see people read that whole section and they make all kinds of... So this is critical. You're going to misread the Bible if you don't get serious and careful about, like, for instance, come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. What's that? Imperative. And I will give you rest. What's that? Declarative. It's not, he's not telling you to do anything. He's saying, I will do this. That's a declarative statement. So in that verse, there are two moods. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. Declarative and imperative. In addition to that, there are two tenses. Come to me, that's in the present tense, and I will. What's that? Future. So this is what, we're, this is what we got to be looking for here. Now, because those things matter. Chris, tell them about where you saw the second imperative. Oh, it's actually the third one. Oh, the third one. The, or, yes. Or it's my favorite part. I was going to save it until we got to history, but I love this so much. 
So when you're reading that passage, and it's, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And was it, do you know what the next words are? Learn from me. I'd never seen, I've read that whole passage my entire life. And that's where the power of that verse actually comes in. I'll give you the example, the historical background on this. Because when you consider yoke, yoke is about drafting animals, right? And my buddy, who, and I learned this from my buddy who's a farmer, he's a rancher out in Luther, his name is Jay Parks, he's a CPA here in Edmond, right? Jay has two of these big old massive horses. I mean, just enormous, like the Clydesdale size horses, right? Names Tina and Penny, which is hilarious for big names, right? But they'll come take the, you know, the, the hat out of your pocket and do all kinds of stuff. They're really funny. But they're massive. You ever seen those animals pull? Okay? So if you take one of those horses, one, just one of them, you know how much weight one of those horses can pull? 8,000. 8,000 pounds. Yeah, good. He's got an eight good, in good it. Good job. Right? You did really well. It's, are you sure finalize, or journalize is not a word? It's not a word. Okay, all right. Anyway, it's kind of like me. Right? Anyway, so uh, the uh, 8,000 pounds, okay? So that's the, um, you know, Jesus talks about come to me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you rest, right? So then the, you yoke, right? If you take two of those horses, right? If one can pull 8,000 pounds, how many can two pull? And more than 16. It's actually 24,000 pounds, okay? The really cool part is. But then you get to the really cool part about, and this is the kind of some, some history, you know, where, where I think this is going. Do you know if you take two of those horses and give them what Jesus said, the ability to learn from each other? So take my yoke and learn, learn. from me, all right? They can pull up to 32,000 pounds. So two horses can pull four times what one can do. And that environment. Is that not fascinating? Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what I love about being able to study. That, that taught me so much. So if you really want to be able to lift the really, really difficult things of life, man, you got to come to Jesus. Take the, my yoke, all right? Jesus said, we're going we're gonna, to, isn't it interesting? He says, take my yoke and, um, and wait, he starts off, he says, come to me and give me rest. But he's not going to leave us at rest. But he's going to give us the ability <laughs> to learn to work a new way. I think that's a great lesson for me. We can go into lots of But that was like that. all because he was noticing mood. Mood. I call and that lesson the exponential of the third imperative because it makes me sound really cool. It does. Doesn't it? Doesn't that, that is a great? powerful yeah, idea. Best title I ever put on a lesson ever right there. So. so part of the deal here is we think we know. So yeah. this intellectual curiosity, we think we know, and we need to bring our English grammar to bear on this. This makes different because this Bible that we have is written in English. So Chris is going to keep showing you some more uh, well, And we're going to run resources. out of time here if we're not hurry. So I'm going to go through, just know that parts of speech, and Cliff is going to give you a great one about parts of speech. We'll do that, what, next week or something like this. It's my favorite one. It's such a cool story. All right? But it'll change how you study this passage and change what you learn and change opposed to that, hey, I'm going to read it one time and tell you what I think. You're going to go, whoa, I can't do that anymore. All right? Yeah. It, it's really going to share that. Then we get over the historical side. This is where it gets a little more difficult. And I've got to show you the, we've got time to do the electrical, uh, electrical, yeah. <laughs> the electrical. The, you want to journalize it? I'm just having a really hard time. You want to journalize today. it? Yeah. So, um, this is yeah. why we can't be recorded. I'm going to be journalizing See, the electronic See, they're recording issues. us, and people yes. are going to think, what are those guys doing? We're not so, dignified enough. Just... I'm going to show you how to do this online, okay? And then we've got a video we're going to show, and then we're going to be about out of time. So okay. um, let me just say one thing about historical for a moment. One of the big things you don't want to do is just go Google something. Right? Yeah. Use some better resources than that. Um, I'll give you a website to go to. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant, okay? 
Uh, and uh, it's uh, precept, P-R-E-C-E-P-T, preceptaustin.org. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Another good one is, uh, what's that one? Glow Bible, G-L-O Bible.com. And you, that's a paid one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Precept Austin is free. Glow Bible has a free version, but it's not very good. But it, the paid version has a lot of detail in it, too. There's a lot of historical data in that. And I'm going to show you a little bit more of that. Um, but know that the historical takes a little bit more time. Okay, you're going to see very quickly how easy it is to get information um, from a grammatical standpoint. I'm going to show you right now. I've already got it pulled up as soon as I find my mouse. There it is. Okay, here we go. Um, this is what is so much fun to me. All right, now, just, what is this site? This is Bible Hub that I've got up right now. There's two of them, BibleHub.com and BlueLetterBible.org, both of which have free apps on, for your uh, smartphones. And let me tell you, is it fun? Because when Cliff says he's going to pull something out in the Greek, you can look it up before he can actually have the definition up. And you can hold up your phone like, I'm checking you out. Better get it right. All right. He always does, but it's still fun. He thinks I'm fun. lying. Yeah. <laughs> it is fun. So <laughs> let, let's, let's go back to that Matthew chapter 11 verse. And let me just show you what you can do with this. Because one of the things that we didn't look in that first verse, in that very first little line that we see, I'm trying to pull it up as I do this. Uh, Matthew chapter is Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight. We talked about there's imperatives in there, okay? Imperative statements and declarative statements. There's tense is in there, and then there's two really cool words that you that you can learn a little bit about. All right. So the thing I like about BibleHub.com, that's what you're looking at right here, uh, BibleHub.com, is when I come over here and I want to see this word weary. It's kind of funny, all who are weary and heavy laden. What is the Bible being redundant here? <laughs> no, I can tell you that I've never noticed the Bible to be redundant. Emphatic, yes. <laughs> redundant, no. So watch this. When I click on this, watch what happens. I'm going to pull up everything you want to know about that word. There is the part of speech. There oh, is what it means in the original language. There's how to say it <laughs> in the original language. Beyond that, there's all this information down here from the lexicon about how it's used in that specific verse that you're coming from. Right here it is, okay? Grow weary, tired, exhausted, with toil, burdens, or grief. Okay, hear, hear, that, hear the difference of that? Okay, or not the difference, but hear the definition of that. And then over here on the right, you'll see how that word is used, and we'll learn a little bit more about this later, but you, you, how this word is used in other verses, Okay, so it's called word study. We'll go into it. I'll show you some information on that. All right, but so now, Chris, show them how to find that because if you go to Blue Letter, yes. uh, if you go to Bible Hub, and go back. Here's you got the top it, of the page. and you got Matthew eleven. But what's the version they've got to get? Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't tell you that. All right, so you got BibleHub.com. All right, and notice that. Can you see my my mouse here on Matthew? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Matthew, <laughs> you want to select your book, select your chapter, and then you want to come over here. I will tell you to come down to the Strong's NASB, and I think Cliff will too, all right? Uh, come down and use that because the words in, in the Strong's are tied to the Strong's definition. I'm they're sorry, hyperlinked. The, the words in the NASB are tied. They're hyperlinked. Hyperlinked. Click them on, they're going to get you there. And it's, this is what, so the Strong's NASB, that's the version you want to go to, all right? So as you can see, <laughs> we pulled up that first word. Now look at the next word, okay? I'll just give you an, an illustration of it real quick. The heavy laden. How's it different? This one was about toil, okay? This one, is, the first word is Monday morning, right? We, oh, we, oh, that one, okay? Heavy laden is what my wife does to me when I work for her, okay? 
And it's different. To load. You're load. You're burdened down. She owns a boutique, and I, I sell women's fashions. True statement. Four times a year, got to check cash in my man card and everything. I got to carry all the stuff from the trailer into the fair of the heart, okay? You ladies know what I'm talking about, right? I am the Manuel Labor for that, okay? So, so that was not a word either, but anyway. It's not a word. Um, but the, uh, so you've got these definitions here, and again, this is such great information. See how easy it is to get the grammar? So you can, you can look at the statements in mood. Are they declarative, imperative? You can get the definition that we were talking about. The part of speech is right here. What, what part of speech is that word? Verb. Okay? Y'all know I don't eat verbs, right? <laughs> That's my theory of vegetables. Okay? So you can, you've got to be careful. Don't eat verbs. I don't eat beets. Okay? See, it? beets is a verb. Squash, that's a verb. verb? Okay? Oh, my Eggplant, God. that's a noun and a verb. Way too much grammar to eat that. Okay? Just, you've got to have a theory of vegetables. You'll eat the wrong one. Okay? So you've got verb here. You, so you have your parts of speech. Important to know all this stuff. We'll show you what to do with it later, but just how do you find this data? Well, the grammatical side of it's very easy, okay? You go to these sources. If you want me to help you put it, I'll stay after class a little bit. If you want to see how to uh, put these on your phones and your tablets and stuff and use them as an app, Ooh, I, I use it all the time that way, okay? Yeah, the app for blueletterbible.com is... Uh, org. Yeah. Blue Letter Bible. It's, the, it's just the app, Android and iOS is fantastic. I like it better than the desktop. Yeah. I don't like the desktop. It's cumbersome to Let me. Let me show it to you. I'll show, <coughs> I'll show you that. I've got them. I, I have them hyper, or, uh, on my bookmarks here. Here is Blue Letter Bible. And it, it is better on the app than it is yeah. on, on the... On it's easier. Just blueletterbible.org, <laughs> biblehub.com. Yeah. That's the way to remember that. Great resources. But on this one, you have to come over here and you'll... Uh, <laughs> Hit the wrong button, sorry. You got to come down to your NASB, okay? And then we'll just put in, I'll put in, well, let's just do Ephesians. <coughs> Ephesians. And we'll do, uh, I think I can do it that way. I think it'll let me abbreviate it. Yes. See how you have the tools over here? I click on the tools. See where the word interlinear <coughs> is? Now, every word in that verse will come up, and you'll see the Strong's number, and it does the same thing. You can click on it. And there is the part of speech, there's the pronunciation, there is below that is going to be your definition. And I really like how it does this, is it puts all the verses down below it of how that word Which is found. used throughout the Bible. I like that better in terms of over the Bible Hub, because it's over to the right, it's kind of confusing, it's in different versions, it's kind of confusing. Over yeah. there. Here it's just listed in the same version. And these really are important nice. because what you don't want to do is go to an English dictionary. These aren't English words. Yes. They're translated into English. You want to go to the Hebrew word or the Greek word to get the rendering. So you don't want to go to an English dictionary. Uh, now, once you get the Greek understanding, you're probably going to have all that you can handle. Uh, so you want that background of that. For instance, the word uh, in Greek, uh, humble, pros. If you were to look that up, if you look the word up, humble, in, the, in, a, in, a, in a, an American dictionary, it's going to be meek, uh, non-aggressive, those kind of things. In Greek, pros or meek means power under control. Whole different meaning. That's why Jesus said the meek are going to inherit the earth, because they've got power that's come under control. So those, these, these are why you want to use these resources. Now, I think we faked ourselves out. At the bottom of the page, I think we put, I have on mine, blueletterbible.org. BibleHub.com? Does that make sense? Okay. 
All right. There. Hey, <clears throat> here's what we want to do for next week. Uh, let's, don't do the, let's do the video starting next week. Done. We'll do that. Okay. We've got a little flexibility here. We've done this before. We know how we are. So we, stay with us. Here's what we want you to do. You can choose any text, you, you know, your own devotional time, whatever you want, but come back next week. We're not going to get everybody to do this, but we want you to identify from a grammatical standpoint something in terms of either a term that you defined that you thought was important in your own Bible study, any text you want to do, a term that you think, hey, I think this is an important term. Use these guys here, Blue Letter Bible, Bible. A, 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 an example where tense is in the passage. Or an example where mood is in the passage. Come, come to class, having done that, on your own, whatever your Bible study is, look up a term that you think is important. Doesn't have, that, don't, don't worry, Chris and I think, you, you determine, is it important? And then also, is there anything in that passage that I should just be alert to? It doesn't mean that you're going to go write a book next week because you notice tense. <laughs> but it means you're beginning to get alert to the fact, it may, there may not be, it may not be, but be alert to that, to tense and mood. And then we're going to come back next week and we're going to get started on parts of speech. That's where the teeth of this thing is. We'll start with a really fun video that will really yeah. show you, and then we'll, we'll get into that. Um, if Any you questions? Some, yeah, questions, but also if you need, as we... Uh, Want to respect the your word? time. Yeah, we, as we <laughs> released, and I can't even think of the word, I'm done. Can I just tell you that? <laughs> My brain is fried. Release, I, I'm glad release to help the you size with your phones or Make and a word. Your computers if you need some, some help. I'll stay up here for a few minutes afterwards, okay. okay? So any questions? Yeah, you know what the assignment is for next week? There's homework. Okay. They're not, no, they're not online. You need some more? <laughs> we have some more. <laughs> I got plenty more. Yeah, we got yeah. plenty. Okay. Hey, we want to respect your time. Start on time, end on time. So we're, we're hanging around. The essential question we are attempting to answer. What is that? What's the, remember now, what's the essential question we're trying to answer in Bible study? What did this mean to the original reader? That's the essential question. On, uh, yes, thank you. On uh, the back sheet, number two, the essential question we are attempting to answer, what did this mean to the original reader? Because this was written to real people at a real time in real circumstances. And so we want to honor that. I'll give you a quote here. We'll be done. I, I memorized this quote years ago. And come back, and it goes this. It says this from Haddon Robinson. He's a great preacher, just died last year or this year. He said this, accuracy... Not to speak of integrity, demands that we develop every possible skill so that we do not declare in the name of God what the Holy Spirit never meant to say. Preach that. That's important. (laughs) And we get at that because we ask the question, what did this mean to the original reader? Okay? Blessings.